0: Hello, you're listening to Dr. Baz of Grace Life Church in Naples, Florida. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word. And may God's Spirit speak a personal word to you through it. Let's pray. Father, we uh, simply ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, and that what we hear will be not meek, talking not my ideas and opinions, but clearly the, re- the word of God and this wonderful revelation to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're looking at a subject that's really controversial and it's how God uses evil for good. I've been on the phone to a fellow who uh, goes to church and, and he, he can't think of anything more vile than the idea that God would actually use evil and suffering for his own good purposes. Well, I must begin with a recap. Last week we looked at why God allows so much evil and suffering, and we saw first of all that all suffering is the result of the fall of man. That is, the first man rebelling against God, becoming depraved and estranged from God, and then reproducing after his own kind giving birth to an entire race of people who are born depraved. Secondly, that God is indeed sovereign ruler over all human suffering, over all evil. We went into that at length, but I shall just read you Ecclesiastes 7.4 that says, When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider that God has made the one the same as he's made the other. Thirdly, God being good and being all-powerful and all-knowing, he does have a plan in place to end all evil and suffering. It's called Christian conversion. As all of man's hostility, the Bible tells us, is due to the fact that he is in rebellion against God. God the Son went to the cross. Your sin was placed upon him, the sins of the world. He suffered the punishment for it so that those who repent and believe, should be forgiven, and be born again, which means that they would receive a new nature that loves God, thereby ending the rebellion. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we stated last week, if you're not going to allow God to address your sin and end your hostility, you have absolutely no right whatsoever to demand that he address the sin and end the hostility of everyone else in the world. Fourthly, God's plan puts an end to sin and suffering for believers once they get to heaven, not before. And why is that? That is because God uses suffering for his own good purposes. And as we got to that point, we started to creep into today's messages. Uh, he uses suffering for his own good purposes. Well, what are these good purposes? We alluded to them last week. First of all, to preserve God's people. In Genesis fifty twenty, Joseph said to his startled brothers who sold him into slavery, Don't worry, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but what you meant for evil, God meant. That means he ordained it for the good to bring about so that many people should be kept alive. So, what good does he bring out of evil? He preserves God's people. He also sanctifies God's people. He makes them holy. Romans 8, 28 says that we know that all things that would be evil and include evil and suffering work together for the good. And he's always talking about spiritual good, welfare, to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. So he does it to preserve God's people, to make God's people holy, and of course, to work out all of his purposes in the world. Ephesians 1.11 talks about the plan of God who works out everything to conform to the purpose of his will. And as we've said on many occasions, not to conform to the purpose of his moral will, to conform to the purpose of his sovereign will, that is his purposes. Now, those last three points that I just made, we're going to expand, and, uh, and, and, and we'll do that in the next few minutes. But be sure of this is that the scripture is as clear as a bell that God uses evil and suffering for the good and only allows it if it's working out his good purposes. When Joni Erickson tata was first dealing with the fact that she had become a quadriplegic, she was wondering why God could be so cruel to her. And then a dear Christian man sat down and counseled her and he read to her lamentations 3:32 though god brings grief he will show compassion so great is his unfailing love for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men and then he said something to her that she never forgot he said in this rebellious sinful world god permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And she said that that just turned her sorrows around because she realized that God was in charge and that God had a purpose in her pain. And what a testimony for God that woman has been. So how does God use suffering for the good? Well, first of all, let's look at how the suffering of those that hate God brings about the good. Uh, In Exodus 14, 4, God said, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And how did he gain glory for himself? He drowned the Egyptian army in all of its chivalry in the Red Sea. The good being that God was glorified in it, in that that attr- attribute of God, which will judge sin, was put on display. But you see, he, he's not only glorified on earth because of his judgment of unrepentant sinners, but the scripture makes it very clear that he will be glorified throughout eternity because of his judgment upon unrepentant sinners. In Revelation 19:1 and 2, we read, I heard a loud voice, from a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot. The great harlot, of course, referring to Babylon, which is a, which is a symbol of the world's sinful culture who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged her blood, the blood of his servants shed by her. So God's judgment of the unrepentant sinners glorifies himself. It brings glory to him. Consequently, we can see why on some occasions that God will bring judgment for those who rob him of his glory. Acts 12, 22, the People, people kept shouting to Herod. This is after Herod had given his magnificent speech. Oh, this is the voice of a god and not a man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him and because, because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Very interesting that the Roman first century historian, Josephus, he records that after Herod was praised as a god, he suffered a sudden acute stomach pain and died. Exactly what the scripture says. Okay, so that's just a, a brief word on how the suffering of those that hate God can glorify God, which of course is the is to the ultimate good. But now let's look at how God uses evil and suffering to bring about good for the believer. And you know, the first thing that you have to say that the scripture uh, profoundly proclaims is that Suffering for the believer is inevitable. Then uh, in the Lord Jesus' say when he was speaking to his discer- <coughs> disciples, and, and it was a promise, he said in the world you, you shall have tribulation. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though something strange were happening to you? The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3.3 says, nobody should become unsettled by these trials. You know quite well, we're we're destined for them. And it's not only inevitable, but suffering is what believers are actually called to. 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, telling us that to the degree to which you answer the call to be godly is the degree to which you will suffer the corresponding persecution of evil men and impostors, Imposters being church people who are not regenerate not born again. So, since Romans 8, 28 tells us that we know that God works all things to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes, how does God use suffering for the believer's good? Well, you know, the first thing that suffering does is it reveals the spiritual condition of each one of us. It's that, it's that old saying, you know, that you don't know how good the tea is until you put the tea bag in hot water. Well, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason of the hope that you have. Let me read that again a different way, and I think it, it makes more sense. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, tell me about that amazing hope that you have. What possible reason do you have for it? Well, you see, when you read it like that, you can see how how we conduct ourselves in the middle of our trials reveals to others to what degree we actually have a hope truly in God. And, and then in Isaiah 43, 2, God says, you don't need to fear. When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. So, how we conduct ourselves in our trials reveals to others to what degree that we're really comforted by the knowledge that God is with us. So it reveals our spiritual condition, and you know as well as I do that there are times when things go wrong with us and we get immediately suspicious of God. Well, does that Why are we doing that? It's because it's telling us something about our spiritual condition. Um, so it reveals our spiritual condition, but. But God often uses suffering to bring about repentance. Um, you'll remember that God temporarily blinded the apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus at the time, and uh, when he was on the road to Damascus, and that what did it bring about? It brought about repentance, didn't it? David in Psalm 119:67 said, "Before I was afflicted, I went astray." Uh, But now, now that I've been afflicted by God, I obey your word. You are good and what you do is good. So what he's saying is, is when, even when you afflict me, it's always for the good. In Psalm 32, verse three, he said, when I kept silent, and he's talking about, about my sins, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, Lord, was heavy upon me. So, God's hand was very heavy, painfully heavy upon his conscience. How painful? My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin. That is, he repented to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, we can see from that that God's hand can painfully inflict pain on you as he as he as he painfully leans upon your conscience and he can do so without n- needing the to buttress that with the external pain he can he can do that or he can do that either way it's painful um, I was reading about Robert Robertson and he was walking down the street on a Sunday morning uh, in the 1700s on a on a Sunday morning, and uh, at that time, he had given up following God. been years since he followed God, just drifted away. All of a sudden, a lady in a carriage pulled up next to him and asked the driver to stop, stuck her head out of the window and said, look, are you on your way to church? Because if you are, I'm quite happy to give you a ride. Well, of course, his first thought was to say no, but his conscience was so pained by this experience that he reluctantly said okay I will and he got in the carriage with her now Robert Lee Davis in his biography on Robertson then wrote this as the carriage rolled forward Robert Robinson and the woman exchanged introductions there was a flash of recognition in her eyes when he stated his name that that, that is interesting coincidence she said reaching into her purse. And she withdrew a small book of inspirational verse and opened it to a ribbon bookmark and then handed the book to him and said, you know, I I was just reading a verse by a poet named Robert Robertson. Could it be you? He took the book nodding. Yes, these are words that I wrote years ago. Oh, how wonderful, she exclaimed. Imagine. I'm sharing a carriage with the author of these very lines." But Robertson barely heard her. He was absorbed in the words that he was reading. They were words that would one day be set to music and become a great hymn of the faith, familiar to generations of Christians. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. then his eyes slipped to the bottom of the page where he read, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And he could barely read the last few lines through the, the tears that brimmed in his eyes. And then he said to the lady, I wrote these words and I have, lived these words prone to wander prone to leave the god i love the woman suddenly understood ah, ah but you also wrote here is my heart oh take and seal it so you can offer your heart again to god mr robinson it's not too late And the biographer said, and it wasn't too late for Robert Robinson. In that moment, he turned his heart back to God and walked with him the rest of his days. Spurgeon said, it's a blessed hurricane that blows us onto the rock of ages. Suffering reveals our spiritual condition, but God's word said it also brings about repentance. And then, of course, God uses it to humble us In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, a familiar passage, Paul says to keep me from becoming conceited above measure because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. (laughs) It was given to me. So right there, God used Satan and allowed him to torment Paul in order to keep him humble. I'm giving you all these great revelations, they're liable to inflate you, as I see they are doing, so we shall humble you. And, and this is what he was gonna do. So the Satan tormented him. Now, how did Satan torment him? Had to be one of two things. First of all, by reminding him of his past. Well, what was his past like? Well, in Galatians 1.13, he tells us, and he said, for you have heard about my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God Tried to destroy it. Well, he's getting all these exceedingly great revelations. He's beginning to be pumped up. Well, you can imagine God using Satan and telling, reminding him of who he really is. We, without God, you're a persecutor. That's all you are. And that, and 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 that, absolutely, kept him, kept him where he should be. Well, of course, secondly. Uh, There was all the trouble that Satan stirred up against Paul wherever Paul went. One of the most awful things that you read, especially if you're going to go into the ministry, is it everywhere this fellow went, there seemed to be a riot. Now, the people are preaching the word of God, but they just never seem to get that. Um, The church that he's writing to in Corinth, they were, they'd been, he'd put so much effort into them and and now he finds out they're listening to false preachers, false teachers. Uh, there's even a group in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 who've decided, you know, Paul's okay, but I, I think the Apollos, his fellow Apollos, is way better. It, actually, he talks about that. And if that wasn't enough, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, Paul wrote that some of you are saying about me that his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's... an unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing? That's what you're saying about me. Now think of all the effort that Paul had put into this, and this was the response that he got. And, oh, we haven't dealt with half uh, a tenth of what was going wrong in that particular church. There's a couple of times he said, I feel like my efforts have been wasted on you. Well, I had a friend in the, the last church who was an orthopedic surgeon, Lovely man, his name was Dr. Stuckmeyer. But he gave up the whole thing. And I asked him why he did so. You know what he said to me? He said, you know, it's a, it's a unique torment when you have devoted your life to helping people who habitually turn around and sue you. He just got so fed up with that. This is, this is what the Apostle Paul is experiencing. Well, so why on earth did God allow the devil to cause such disruption and opposition in Paul's ministry, everywhere he went, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. So he will use suffering to humble us. And, of course, we know that he uses suffering to develop character in us. In Romans 12, 2, we're told that the Christian is to be joyful in hope, patient In affliction, faithful in prayer. So, how are you going to train to be patient in affliction? Answer In affliction. (laughs) How are you going to train to be able to swim in the water? In the water. You've got to get plunged in the water. Psalm 66, verse 10 to 12, For you, O God, you've tested us. You refined us as silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. This is a good God. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. Ah, but you brought us to a place of abundance. And, of course, it's always in Scripture talking about spiritual abundance, a new love for God, a new revelation of God building character is something of course that occurs through the painful discipline and correcting of us david said before i was afflicted i went astray but now hey obey your word uh, hebrews 12:10 is a very well known passage on the subject that our fathers disciplined us for a while as they thought best but god always disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness and no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it c s lewis when he, he he one occasion he was speaking about god's discipline and he he wrote suppose that uh, what y- you were up against is a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. Well, the kinder and the more conscientious he is, the more inexorably he will go on cutting. (laughs) If he yielded to your entreaties, if he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up to that point would have been useless. What do people mean when they say I am not afraid of God because I know that he is good? Have they never been to the dentist? <laughs> In John 15:2, Jesus speaking about the believer says every branch that does not bear that every branch that does bear fruit, God prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. Ever thought of your pay- pain as a prune, pruning? Um, So building character involves disciplining and correcting us. Building characters involves strengthening our faith. There's two great verses for that. You might as well hear them. Uh, 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds. These have come. Oh, oh, so there's a divine purpose in them. Mm -hmm. So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes... uh, even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when the Lord Jesus is revealed. James says the same thing, chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The exercising of your faith builds the muscle of perseverance. So God uses Suffering to develop character in us, correcting us, building our faith. Uh, Job 20 it says in Job 23, verse 10, he said, When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. God also uses suffering to draw us closer to him. Uh, a passage that should be enough is Judges chapter 6, verse 6, where it says, The Midianites so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to God, He he uses pain to draw us to him. In fact, if you read the whole book of Judges, the whole book of Judges is is the repeated story of how Israel would turn away from God, God would inflict suffering upon them, and he would draw them back to him doing that. And if you read the book of, of, of Judges, that cycle occurs seven times. I was reading this week um, about the eight days of prayer and fasting that John MacArthur found himself instinctively doing for his son Mark after a tumor was discovered in his head. And John MacArthur had been pulled aside by the the first doctor who said, your son may not make it through this. Well, he did survive it. But the point being is you could see how how the, the suffering that MacArthur went through, at least, naturally drew him to a very close walk with God. Madame Guyon, uh, she lived a very difficult life, a life that you wouldn't want to have lived. And she did a lot of writing, and she wrote down some of her prayers. One of them was, Oh, my God, you had my father deceive me when I wanted to be a nun so that I would turn to you and let you love me. She also wrote, oh my God, you allowed my mother-in-law to spread those lies about me. I now see so that I would turn to you in humility and discover how much you love me. He uses suffering to develop character, to draw us to himself. And he uses suffering to make us teachable. Remember that great passage in Matthew 11:28. 28, it's where the Lord says, come unto me, all you who are weary, burdened, heavy laden, however the translation is, and I will give you rest and take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He uses it to make us teachable. Notice that being weary and burdened is a condition that is a catalyst that causes us to come to Christ so that we will learn of him. It it, it makes us teachable. It's just an odd truth that we hear from God so much clearer when we're in dire straits, whereas when everything's going well and everything's comfortable and there's not a care in the world, it seems we've got cloth in our ears. It's it's an odd thing, that. Job 36.15 says, But those who suffer, he speaks to them in their affliction. And if I may quote C.S. Lewis again, Uh, C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And let me throw in one more. God uses suffering to equip us to help others. Um, Luke 22, verse 31 was a verse that we looked at last week where, We read, Satan, Satan. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Simon, Simon. (laughs) Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. What did we learn? What did we observe last week? We learned that Satan always has to ask permission to do anything whatsoever from God. In this case, God allowed him to sift Peter as wheat. But because God's only interest was that his faith be strengthened through the sifting. Well, why was that a good purpose? So that he would be qualified to strengthen his brothers, whose faith was obviously trembling. 2 Corinthians 1.3 speaks about the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that, that means so that we'll be equipped to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So he uses suffering to help us, enable us, strengthen us to equip, uh, to, to help other people. Uh, and of course, very finally, uh, you know there's nothing that advances the gospel like suffering. Uh, in a passage that we looked at just a tad earlier, 1 Peter 3.15, we read that we're always to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you of the reason for the hope you have. Let me, let me read it the same way that I read it last time. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, what is this hope that you have? What possible reason could you have for it? Well, that tells us that the believer's display of hope in the middle of their trials is often what God uses to lead the lost world to make an inquiry about Jesus Christ. Paul's pain, we read in Scripture, it inspired other people to advance the gospel. Where is that? Philippians 1.12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me, jail, suffering, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. That's the first thing. And the second thing is because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So Paul's suffering inspired others to advance the gospel. And then, of course, believers' suffering often is used by God to cause them to advance the gospel, a single passage would illustrate this would be Acts chapter 8 verse 4 where it says those who had been scattered because of the persecution shared the gospel wherever they went. And then of course the believers suffering and, and, and specifically their suffering is sometimes used by God to advance the gospel. In Japan in a, a place called Takinawa, uh, 100 missionaries were taken out at one time and the mob stoned them all to death. I don't know how long that must have taken. What a terrible thing that must have been. When political peace and came to the, to the country years later, there was a new group of very brave missionaries who returned to Tokunawa uh, possessing only two things and one was a pocket new pocket new testaments and of course the love of jesus christ and having no money to build a church they found that god had already provided they built the church out of the very stones that were thrown at their older brothers and sisters and that's a church by the way that thrives to this day and still wins people to jesus God uses suffering to reveal our spiritual condition, to bring about repentance, to humble us, to develop character in us, us, to discipline and correct us, to strengthen our faith, to draw us to himself and make us teachable, to equip us to help others, and, of course, he uses it to advance the gospel. Spurgeon says the Lord recruits his very best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. Now, when Paul said... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and that God had given him a thorn in the flesh, he also says that he he went to God three times and said, could you please take this suffering away? God said to him three different things. Number one, no, I'm not going to do it yet. Number two, but you're going to see my grace and that'll be sufficient for you. And number three, and by the way, my power, will be made manifest in your weakness so be sure of this one thing when god brings suffering into your life it is always to introduce you to a new level of his grace and his power praise his holy name let's pray thank you lord for um, your truth and we love you and um, Help us to conduct ourselves more like the Lord Jesus Christ, who in front of his accusers opened not his mouth, but like obedient children uh, conducting ourselves properly to your glory uh, in the middle of it, knowing that you're the one in charge and you're allowing everything for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Now, be, before we close by singing this song that we alluded to in the message, I, I'd like to just read you some words from the Apostle Paul. And, and, and as I sort of grabbed these from Scripture, I, it suddenly made me feel as if I'm not here now and it's just Jesus, it's just Paul standing up in front of you closing the service. Now listen to what he has to say. Those who suffer according to the will of God should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we, we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which... Are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Remember, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for listening to Dr. Bez. Tune in next week as we continue studying the Word of God. May God bless you.